Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the State of Play podcast, episode 35. I'm your host, Matt Santangelo. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Pet and Martino are unfortunately out for this episode. They have other obligations. They're busy. Um, I know Pet's still making his way back from uh, from a from a cold or sickness for a while. So um, look forward to seeing them back in the near future. But we are um, welcoming a very special guest, first time um, to the podcast. His name is Carlo Garganese. Of course, you've probably seen his work in previous years at Goal.com. He's a wealth of knowledge on Italian football. He's uh, one of the, the best sources you can can follow on on Twitter. So Carlo. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing through all this quarantine? Hey, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me on and thanks for the glowing introduction. Um, yeah, the quarantine, I mean, look, it's, it's not easy, but, you know, there's, there's people out there that are in a much more difficult situation than I am. So, so you know, I can't complain um, too much. But, um, but, you know, it's just it is what it is and we just have to get on with life, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I know, you know, we kind of talked briefly in the buildup. We've been wanting to do this episode for a while and trying to make our, our schedules align in the slots and time zone and all that stuff. Um, so I'm definitely glad we're, we're doing this. I think it's a good time to um, not, you know, kind of talk too much about rumor, transfer rumors and stuff. And we'll kind of delve a little bit into that uh, with one of our, our, our segments or one of our topics. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just been great to kind of keep the contact, keep that um, that, that, that football content flowing onto the timeline. Um, I, we've had, we've had many great guests on, even despite the stoppage of play, Janish Michalik from ESPN. We've had Alex Goldberg, who's a good Chelsea guy, uh, Roberto Rojas, a Paraguayan football expert. He talked about uh, Miguel Amaron. So we, those are just some of the guests we've had on. And then, you know, it's great to add you to the list. And we're, you know, we're going to talk extensively about Serie A, the Italian national team, which I know uh, a lot of my followers on my personal account, um, you know, kind of follow me for my Calcio uh, insight and, you know, uh, quote-unquote expertise, if you will, if you want to call it that. So, um, yeah, let's just get started. I think, you know, that's the kind of the best way to do it. We have, um, again, the stoppage is kind of, you know, diminished somewhat of what we can discuss. There's that, that stoppage of that great title chase, uh, the Capo Canieri, which Chiro Mobile was uh, running away with, um, and then some other, you know, t- topics included during the season. But I think there's still some relevant things we can discuss and ultimately, um, you know, uh, get your input on and, and kind of open it up to, to our listeners to enjoy. So uh, let, let's, let's start with um, the, uh, the Serie A season so far, right? I think right now it, it's one of those things where when I look at when it's going to come back, I know just uh, saw the news that uh, in accordance with Italy guidance, the lockdown is going to be extended to May, May 3rd. So now it's more wondering, more guesswork, and more of a guessing game as to when Serie A season will resume, if at any point. Um, in your opinion, and I'm not going to talk about too much teams in this because I think we've kind of run through that. We've exhausted that uh, quite a bit in previous episodes. Do you think the league is actually going to return at any point, despite the fact that, yes, Euro has been postponed, yes, the Olympics, yes, Copa America, all these sorts of things have been uh, postponed to effectively make way for these leagues to to finish. I know the Premier League has kind of set a, a timeline for them as well in June. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts and your personal feeling on um, the, the Serie A season in general and how you think it will will play out, uh, whether it be the season's avoided, whether it be the season does resume, whatever you think. Well, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to know. I mean... Obviously, at the moment, the numbers do seem to be going down in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, how many deaths there are, how many people are in intensive care units. Um, 
So, you know, if that can continue, then the hope is there that, you know, maybe we can finish this season. Um, but, it, you know, it's like you said, it is a bit of a guessing game. We don't know for sure because at the moment, everyone is still on lockdown in Italy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are some of the restrictions do look like they might be lifted a little bit, uh, relaxed a little bit, and, and um, some non-essential businesses might go back um, to in operation. So that's a good sign, but it's hard to know. I mean, we're going to have to see what what um, the government says, what the you know um, the scientists say. is It is a little bit of a guessing game at the moment. Um, obviously, you know the season should finish uh, in at the end of May. That's not going to happen. Um, so you know, really, you know, the, the season has to be finished by. I mean, I would say the latest the season could be finished would be the end of August. I think if it isn't finished by the end of August, you just have to avoid the season because, I, I mean, it, it, you, you can't start playing the 2019-20 season in, in, in September or October. I mean, it's just yeah. not going to happen. So there is, there is a time frame there, obviously. So we need to see how things develop in the next month or so to see if there's going to be enough time. Um, but there's a lot of other things to take into account. There's, the, there's other leagues I mean, the Premier League, for example, in England, you know, England is about three, four weeks behind Italy. Um, so, so you know, do these other leagues finish? What about the Champions League? What about the cup com- other cup competitions, national cup competitions? You know, everything kind of needs to be aligned a little bit as well. Um, so, I, honestly, I can't say for sure. I mean, there are some, there have been sometimes some signs that suggest that maybe the season won't finish. I mean, one example is. For example, was Juventus, you know, um, the, 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 the players um, going three months without pay, um, you know, that could be a sign that maybe the season, the season is, um, is over. Um, but it's difficult. One, the only thing I would say for sure is, um, and this sounds a horrible thing to be talking about when people are dying, um, but... Um, the economic impact, if the season doesn't finish, is going to be absolutely huge um, on Italian football. Not just on Italian football, but in every league. I mean, it's going to be huge anyway. But if the season doesn't finish, I mean, some clubs are going to go bankrupt. I mean, that's that's absolutely inevitable. So, so you know, they need to. I think they they need they need to give themselves every chance to try and finish the season. But at the end of the day, if this pandemic continues, or if it if there's a relapse, then then there's no way the season's going to no way they can finish the season. Oh, absolutely! I think you make a great point too. With um, you know, at some point, it's you have to kind of stop the bleeding. You know, maybe pull the plug, and yeah, maybe that's I could find a better way to phrase it. But you know, how long can you let the season roll? Right, we're already speaking on what it's already been. Feel like a month now, month and a half, give or take, of uh, of stoppage. Right, I think the last game that I watched was I believe March 8th which is Milan Genoa and that was with no fans in attendance and you know obviously you had the Derby d'Italia it was the same case but it feels like it's been much longer than a month so far I don't know about how, how it feels for you but it feels like it's been like two three months without football and it, 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 it feels so, like an eternity it, it, I, it, it, it really does and I think you, you yeah I mean it's only been just over a month like you say right. it's been just over a month but it feels like about three months so how is it going to feel in a month's time it's yeah it's crazy and also the other thing you've got to remember is that they have to give them time to, to train as well you, you can't just expect you can't just throw them back just... on there it's right exactly. now it's essentially I mean you got to think about it this way too right this the, the the European football 
scheduled format. It is the way it is for a reason, right? It's ends May, late May, early May, depending on what league you're in. Then you have like a month off, and then the, it's kind of that transfer window period where, and then you have players and in, in their you know that are going on holiday, they're spending time with their families, and then there's like that preseason that starts, right? So it's kind of the way it's aligned for a reason. And to your point, if you know you're thinking about saying, well, let's do it in you know. Uh, July, right? It's not just a simple, okay, hey guys, everything's been lifted. Let's go out to the field and start playing tomorrow. Like it's a thing where the, a lot of these players, yes, some of them have the um, the access to the gyms and to do certain you know techniques and, and footwork uh, building um, within the confines of their own you know their own home, their own you know uh, condominium, whatever the case may be. But it's not just again, it's not just a quick thing, right? Let's assume that. It's, you know, June, right? Let's assume that we kind of fall in the same format as the Premier League, where they're going to eye June. Uh, you have to wonder, okay, they're going to need at least a month to kind of ramp everything back, get everyone settled in, back to full fitness, because you don't want to obviously risk injury. There's a lot of things that go into play. But to your point, there's finding that balance where you're saying, hey, like, we understand the economical impact that Calcio has on, uh, on Italy itself. But we also have to keep in mind the health and safety of the people, right? The players, the staff, all that sorts of things. So finding that balance, it's, it's a really challenging thing. And the reason why I asked you this, this, this question, um, Carlo, was because the previous guest we've had on, um, you know, really was about a week or two after we kind of had this whole quarantine, this whole shutdown of Serie A. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how kind of perspectives and uh, um, opinions have developed on this topic, right? Because, you know, it's, you know, three weeks ago, people are saying, well, you know, well, if we can get to, you know, May, maybe we, but like May is not realistic now. It's not even mm. a, a possibility, right? So that becomes an, a moot point. So yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where for me, I think if it kind of drags on too long, it's going to get to one of those points where you got to say, hey, like we either announce a winner and that's it, or we maybe go, I've, I've read that there's a possibility that they go with, um, they resort back to the previous seasons, you know, top four and that sort of thing, which would be a devastating blow to a team like Lazio. Let's, let's face it, right? I think Juventus Inter would be in the Champions League. A team like Lazio, um, they've had a magical season and they're, you know, ch chasing for the title. So for them to not even go from chasing to the title, but to also be at Champions League, like that would be a heartbreak for them. And I think you'd wonder you'd have a lot of lawsuits that come down from clubs, right? So, you know, you mentioned the economical mm -hmm, impact yeah. and, you know, a lot of that comes along with beating certain objectives, right? You have the relegation battle, you have teams that, you know, are in the Europa League chase, like a Parma, Roma, whatever the case may be. So it's a developing story uh, for sure. You know, it's kind of hard to project at this point. I think the focus for everyone now is for Italy to be in a much safer, uh, the healthier state. And I think that's kind of what you're, all we can hope for at this point. I think football, despite us talking about it, uh, seems like uh, take, it should take a back seat to this. But of course, we're football guys. We want to keep the content going and perspective going. So let's, let's move right along to um, some other topics. I, I, I've done two articles. If you guys listening aren't familiar, I uh, relaunched my Medium account. Um, you guys can check out my Twitter account. I've tweeted out a couple articles lately. Two of those articles that I've tweeted out or I've, I've written um, are, are Serie A-centric. Uh, the first one was on the 10 best performing U23 players uh, of the Serie A season. Now, I know there's obviously X amount of games left. We don't know whether they're going to be played or not. Uh, but I list the players uh, based off you know, what I saw 
kind of the overall body of work um, through 24, 25 games. And I, you know, I, I threw my names down there. I, you know, I had guys like uh, the, 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 the normal names, the usual names that you'd expect, Castrovilli, uh, Latara Martinez, Don Bruma, Benacerte, Hernandez, uh, Tonali, Boga, Kulisowski, just to name a few. But Carlo, I want to I get, uh, get your opinion or your thoughts on um, some, of the, some of the players on, in that under-23 under, uh, under bracket, excuse me, that you feel um, have taken a major step up this year who have maybe kind of exceeded your expectations. Maybe they uh, had a, a difficult year last year and now they kind of bounced back in a big way. Uh, give me a couple of your names. Maybe the ones I've, I've mentioned, you have a couple of those, but maybe some new ones you want to you'll bring to attention here. Well, I, I think under-23s, uh, I mean, I think you mentioned Lautaro for, for Inter has been absolutely fantastic. Um, until January anyway, I think he had his head, he's had his head turned a little bit by Barca, by Barcelona, the interest from Barcelona. Right. I mean, he's, he's Barcelona's top transfer. He's, well, he was Barcelona's top transfer target. Probably still is for the summer. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the, with the summer transfer market. But, um, yeah, he, I mean, he's fantastic. He's, he's definitely um, in the, the, the new generation of, of world-class attackers. If he isn't world-class already, he, he's going to be soon. He, he's, he's, he's a wonderful player. Um, you know, Castrovilli, I love watching him. He's he's a bit of a throwback to an old kind of almost 1980s style player. That he's a mm-hmm. real artist and he, he plays um, just to entertain, really. <laughs> and and, he, and he's, he's just such a natural talent. I mean, some of the things he's dribbling, um, the, the amount of players that he takes on and, and he, he does little flicks. And uh, I think he used to be a... A dancer when he was young, he's, he's like a trained like ballerina. You can see those little traits, right? Yeah, the little pirouettes and and, and uh, the light yeah. light on his feet. Yeah, like you can imagine him on tiptoes doing the dancing, yeah, ballet <laughs> dancing. But yeah, I mean, he's beautiful to watch. I, I absolutely love him. You know, I'm, I'd be very interested to see with Castrovilli whether when he joins a, a bigger club. Um, no offense, Fiorentina, but when he joins a bigger club and he has to play in a more disciplined team, whether they'll, they'll allow him to, to express himself like he has for Fiorentina, sometimes that's always a concern um, with, with those kind of players who are, who are so free on the pitch, especially in the centre of midfield, especially in Italian football. Um, so we'll have to see what happens when. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the big clubs are after him. He's he's a wonderful talent, amazing to watch. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you met, mentioned um, the, 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 the three at Milan, Donnarumma, Benacer. Benacer is very underrated. He's, he's a, he's a, it reminds me a bit of Cambiasso, a little bit. Um, very you know, left foot, really keeps the game ticking and directs the play deep in midfield. I think I, I really, really like him. And Tio Hernandez, not so good defensively, but going forward, he's, he's a machine. Um, so, yeah, he's great. You know the, the Verona. Verona have got a few youngsters who are who are really really Im- impressive. The two mm. the two lads at the back, uh, Amrabat in midfield. He's been one of the best central midfielders in Serie A this season. You know there's there's a lot there's a lot. Barella, uh, Inter, Kulusevski, who's obviously jo- joined the Juventus. Um, I think his, his Bastoni but, too. Yeah, yeah, Bastoni. Yeah, uh, Inter have got a few. Um, Kulusevski, I really like the look of. Um, I was very much in favour of Juve, Juventus signing him. And I think Sweden's coach has said that he reminds him of, of Robin, and, and I'd agree with that. He has got some some uh, similarities to Robin in the way that he 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 cuts in 
on the right hand side and takes on players and he's a and very his, and his versatility player. his versatility too i think will be a major asset to whoever is the coach um at juventus right because we've seen kulisevsky um at parma play in various different roles he's played as a holding midfielder he's played as an attacking midfielder he's played as obviously a winger which i think his production you've seen you know his his best talent shine through but yeah i think he's going to be um you know, huge asset going forward. I think he has, he has age, obviously age on his side. The fact that he has uh, not a full Serie A season, but he's got quite a bit of, of, of experience in, in, in a little bit of time, right? You kind of see enough of him to say, okay, this guy's he's ready. You know what I'm saying? I think there's, that's one of those things too that stands out for me when I watch certain players and ultimately when I try to, try and distinguish who has it, who doesn't, who's maybe a flash in the pan, maybe who's kind of a one-season wonder. And I look at guys like Tonali, which I, I want to get your, your thoughts on before, after I make my, my point here. But when you look at a guy like Kulisevsky, you know, he, you kind of just see the certain qualities of his game that you're like, age doesn't really matter so much to him, right? I think Serie A is a very technical, technical league. And I think it, it, it could be difficult for young attackers to develop, right? You know, especially wingers and, and, and forwards, right? So um, given, the, given the nature of the league itself, to see a player like Kulisevsky who – was in the Atalanta youth system last year. I think he maybe maybe played one or two games, um, you know, in the top flight. But yeah, that to go to Parma and to be not only just a starter, but to be like again a breakout star uh, very quickly as a teenager is, is something very impressive. Um, but I, I, I want to get your, I guess now that we're on the conversation of teenagers, right? Because I think um, you know we got a question from one of our followers, pretty much saying who are some of the best under nineteen talents coming coming up in Serie A or currently in Serie A. Kulusevsky being one of them. Uh, we mentioned um, Esposito from Inter a- a- as well. But I, I want to focus on Tonali here for a moment because he's the talk of the town. He's, uh, you know, he's got the hair like Pirlo. He's the, the, the comparisons are always coming in. He, he seems to quickly shut them down. He's got that, um, that, uh, that love, that childhood love for Milan. He's a huge Gattuso fan. So, look, obviously everyone's in on Tonali. Brescia are not going to be staying afloat in Serie A. We just know that Tonali's going to move on. I, I would be stunned if he doesn't. Um, PSG, you have Premier League interest. You have the top four or five clubs in Serie A in terms of name, at least. Um, in stature, looking at Tonali. Given the fee that's probably going to have to come in or going to be uh, tabled to, to get his signature from Brescia, I, I mean, looking at the situations around Serie A and overall fit, overall environment, where do you feel Tonali um, fits in best I think it's easy for a lot of people to say well Inter or Juve right because they're winning and you know you want people of a winning team yes I get that but if he has a lot of competition there there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of uh, factors that come into play then maybe he's suited somewhere else so I, I want to get your opinion or your ask really ask you this question is that where does Tonali fit in best which which destination would you feel that would be the best for him at this point in time of his career If I was him, I'd go to Juventus. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't usually recommend that for a, for a player that's only 19 years old. But uh, I I I think he's a I think he's ready. I think he's a generational player. I've said it from the from the first game I watched him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you mentioned how with Kulusevski, how kind of quality of of not being overawed at all by his by the occasion or the opposition, and and, and that's the that that's what separates the the. The, the good players from the great players. It's not so much talent. It's that mental quality of of just being able to handle the occasion, and and that's what Tonali has. He he he's just on the ball. He's he's so cool on the ball. He's not overawed, um, and I, I think he's. I think of all the 
the the young and there's so many great young this is a great generation of young Italian yeah. central midfielders. Um yeah. it's the one area on the pitch um that Italy are absolutely stacked for young for young um and experienced central midfielders yeah. right and now. And a lot, of, look, a lot of prime players about Ati and Jorginho, but you know, yeah. we didn't even touch on guys like Zaniolo. We have um you know Sensi who's getting had had a bit of an injury spell here for Inter. But yeah, you know, there's there's the midfield in in previous years we didn't couldn't really say that about Italy, so it's definitely exciting to 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 have that talent in the midfield. But but, but continue, I'm sorry. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I think Tonali is is yeah, sorry, yeah, I think Tonali's the, the 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 most promising of the lot. Um, I think he's got everything. He's he's you, you mentioned that he's been, you know, compared to Pier, being called the new Pirlo, um, and that he sees himself as more of a Catuso. Well, he's actually a mix of both because right. he's got yeah. Pirlo's. He's got. I mean, no one will ever have Pirlo's um, passing skills, but he's got the passing like Pirlo. He's he's got the the long range, the short range, the medium range passes. He sees. He's got the vision to see it to see everything, little patterns around the, the pitch, um, and you know. But but unlike Pirlo, he's actually he's got he's got the legs to get up get up and down the pitch. Yeah. He's got the energy. He gets stuck mm-hmm. in as well. He puts in he puts in a tackle. Um, he's 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 fantastic, and he's playing for a, a terrible team. <laughs> he's playing for a terrible team um, as well, and he's still he's, he's still his, look- his like commanding of the midfield at such a young age for a, a newly promoted team is so impressive. Because I, I remember talking about Tonali at this point last year, right? Because I think everyone started seeing Brescia kind of okay. Will they get will they get promoted? And they, everyone started seeing okay, Tonali, Tonali, who's this kid, right? Um, the fact that. You know, he's again to your point. He's he's like kind of um, he's meshing both those players, right? His his, his idol uh, in Gattuso and the comparisons being made to Pirlo, right? He he he's got that um, that look, that aesthetic of a player who uh, is maybe in the in the more of an Pirlo mold. But when he gets on the ball and he can progress the ball, he can dribble too. He's one of the Serie A's best dribblers. For him to have that at nineteen uh, to command the midfield like he does, I mean, there's there's really no holes in his game and I think he's kind of uh in in many ways yes he he's not he's not fast fast he's not a fast fast player but we are so accustomed Carlo of thinking of that deep line playmaker that regista type if you will as being a little bit more of like a a guy who just sits there plops there will make his passes kind of dictate the flow um and kind of do that and there's nothing wrong with that but the fact that he's able to do that plus charge forward plus you know be a set piece uh, specialist Right, because we've seen him score some fantastic goals. I think he had one that was like near the touchline. I think it was at Sampdoria, or maybe it was at Genoa. I, maybe you can correct me on that. Like a free kick goal that was ridiculous. But the, his highlight reel, if you the listeners haven't been following Serie A this year, Tonali is one of those talents where you look at and you look at, and I think Euro was going to be one of those shining moments where I think if you're Mancini, despite all the options you know that we, we discussed that he has at his disposal, Tonali was going to Euro. And I think he's going to be going to Euro next summer, barring any sort of uh, you know, collapse in form or injuries or any case may be. But Tonali, man, at a team like Juventus, and I think it's fascinating too, right? Because if you're going to spend, assume it's 40 to 50, right, Carlo? That's kind of the figure being thrown around. Yeah. And you're not going to have a player like well, that. Well, it might bench. go down. Well, well, we have to see because I think that the, the, the transfer... spending, the spending, yeah. Yeah, the course. transfer market's going to collapse. The prices are going to collapse this this summer. There's there's no doubt about that. So it might go down as a result um, mm-hmm. now. But you know the the price was yeah forty to fifty million euros, probably closer to fifty um, before this whole coronavirus thing kicked off. So 
So, if you're, so yeah, he, yeah. But I'm sorry, if, if, you're, if you're talking about it getting on the Galatonali, right, because he's going to assume, assume he plays the same role um, at Juventus that Pjanic does. And I think there's been, a, Pjanic has kind of been a little bit of a dividing divisive figure. I'm not, not so much for the, you know, his, his attitude or anything like that, but I think in general, I think Juventus fans have kind of wanted and expected more from him. I think I, you would agree with me on that. I think there's, they, I think they kind of expected him to be, uh, take his game to another level, and I don't think they quite seen it yet. Um, I think if there's the window for them to get a Galo Tonali, and maybe sell Pjanic, because I think Pjanic is still a very, very quality midfielder. Do, do you think that's a possibility, right? If you think if it's getting Tonali will come at the sacrifice of Pjanic, do you, do you believe in that? Um, I would, I would say likely, but not. Not necessarily, because I, I think that Tonali can play as a regista and as a mezzala on the, on the, mm. to the side of the regista. Um, I think he's got the qualities to, to, to play both roles. I think if you do play him as a regista, he brings everything that, that Pjanic is supposed to bring to the game in terms of his passing and his, and his um, you know, dictating of the game. But mm. he, he, he's also better defensively. Um, and Pjanic is, is, is suspect there. And, and I would say that seeing as... The, the Euros has now been postponed from from this summer to, to to the summer of 2021. It would not surprise me at all if if Tonali does join a big club like Juventus and does well that he pushes Jorginho out of the Italy um, team as the regista. And the reason I say that is that Jorginho is very very much like Pjanic is is suspect defensively. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he Jorginho can't can't defend. He can't. He just doesn't have the that. Um, ability to, to to read and protect and screen the back four and protect the team on counter attacks and and put in a tackle and he's and he's quite lightweight and it's the same with Pjanic as well and I think Tonali that's why I think Tonali has higher potential um, because because he has that in his game obviously he's still very young but but that's you know that's how complete Tonali is so so yeah I think it, it probably is the time for, for Juventus to to, to to move to move Pjanic on definitely it's the last chance they'll get they'll get he's 30 now to get some money for him as well so so that, you know if I was in charge of Juve I think that would be what I would do oh yeah I, I couldn't agree more I think you know Juventus's midfield has been a, a huge issue for a while I mean, maybe people think I'm kind of exaggerating when I say huge but for a team that's a uh, bit head and shoulders above everyone in Serie A and it has been a top three top four contender for the Champions League for a handful of years now to, to see them not really kind of have class midfielders like they had in 2014-2015 when they had Pogba, Vidal, Pirlo, Marquisio when he was healthy. I think it's kind of one of those things where if Juventus don't manage to win a Champions League when they have a guy like Ronaldo as well, I think people will look back and say, I think they kind of knew, missed the boat on, uh, on, the, on, on having much more success and having this, a larger dynasty. Um, because of that midfield, I think the midfield has, in, in spurts, you have had a couple individuals who have looked good. I think Bentancur has, has coming of age. He's pretty solid. Um, before the break, I thought he was doing really well. Matuidi is, has shades. He has one, one game on, four games off. Um, so the midfield really needs to be addressed. I'm really fascinated to see if, um, to, you know, on this discussion of Tonali, if, um, you know, it's all, it's all down the road. It's all hearsay. It's all hypothetical, right? If, but the, the guy, they use guys like Kulisevsky in the midfield. Guys like if they could get Tonali, obviously you have the midfield. You may have to kind of go that route because, again, spending is going to be a little bit more you know, tapered. Spending is going to be cut down a little bit. It's going to have a huge impact on what teams do in, in the transfer market. So um, that, that's going to be a fascinating thing regardless of the Tonali saga because I think the interest is always going to be there. Um, 
I, for one, would feel more comfortable, and I'm sure you would agree, him staying at an Italian club. So if it can't be a club like Milan, which I support, or, you know, it can't be, um, you know, uh, something like something like Milan, which I would love to have him there, but at, at the very least for the sake of the Italian national team, for the sake of his future, I think he would be uh, well within his, his – it would be his best interest to stay um, in Italy at, at, at a top club. But um, moving, moving right along, Carlo, because I, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on um, – one of the more polarizing uh, individuals in football for the past decade. And it's kind of strange to see us approaching his 30th birthday in August. Um, of course, I'm talking about Mario Balotelli. Uh, Mario Balotelli, of course, previously was um, spent his past couple years in France at Nice and uh, Marseille. A moderate success. I think overall his production was pretty solid if you kind of you know, weighed down to just appearances you know, versus goals. But I think it's, he, he returned to Brescia on a one-year deal this summer. Uh, Russia, of course, newly promoted. I think there was kind of that allure, that romanticism with, um, you know, coming back to his his hometown club. Um, obviously, he has had uh, some struggles. He's had some games where he's looked pretty good. Other, most games, though, he's kind of looked like he's out of it, frustrated. Uh, again, to your point, the quality at Russia is really not there. Uh, and it's for a striker, you really need that support. And he's a player who is very technical. He has that physical frame. He has all the qualities, but you still need service from certain wide areas and uh, from other players on the pitch. So, um, I'm looking at Balotelli's um, future right beyond this because, again, we're approaching 30, right? And I mean, we've always kept hearing from Nino Raiola um, and from, from news that Balotelli, he wants to get back into the Italian national team. He wants to prove to Roberto Mancini that he could be an asset um, for the striker position. Of course, that's been a, a, a big issue for Azzurri fans for a while now. Uh, hopefully, Immobile has kind of locked it down, secured it, and uh, given uh, Italy someone to... Uh, you know, anchor the attack, you know, heading into next summer's Euro. But I want to talk about Balotelli's future and ultimately where do you see it headed, right? He's still 30. He doesn't have a huge injury past. Um, he still it can be a very effective player given the right system. There's been some links to Napoli. I know he spoke about Napoli in, in, in the media a couple days ago. Um, looking at his, the entire picture, his production, knowing what you know about his, his past, um, you know, all these sorts of things, his attitude that people tend to always uh, bring up. Do you see him making it at another top five club in, uh, in a, not a top five club, in another top five league? Or do you feel that maybe it's, it's a, a case where he goes to maybe a major league soccer or a Turkey? I, I want to get your thoughts on what you see, forecast for Balotelli uh, on the go forward, because again, he's not going to stay at Russia. I don't think they can afford to keep his wages. Um, and I think, you know, there was a, uh, a condition in his contract that he signed last summer that if they avoided relegation, that he would you know, stay on for another year. But that's, again, probably not going to happen. So where do you see Balotelli going from here beyond uh, the end of the season when it does end? It's, it's, it's really hard to say. It's impossible to say, really, because I don't know who would want to take him. I mean, he's he's pretty much exhausted every option there is. And... You know, I mean, you, you look down that, I mean, you look at the top clubs. I mean, who would, who would, who, uh, which top club in Italy would, would, would take Balotelli? I don't think any of them would. Juventus wouldn't take him. Uh, you know, uh, Inter definitely wouldn't take him, <laughs> wouldn't take him back. And Milan wouldn't take him back. You know, uh, Lazio have a, have a striker. Um, you know, Atalanta have their own system. Roma, maybe? I don't know, though. Van Dzeko, I don't know what, you know, but even then, like, you, it's not even so much a, it's not even so much like a quality thing, right? Because I think most people would agree that if you give Balotelli a good supporting system. He's just such system, a gamble. 
it's a gamble. And it's a gamble for, for many reasons. One is that you're, you're relying on him to be his past self, right? When he was kind of, you know, the, the talk of the town, you know, uh, on the name of, on the lips of everyone, when you had a great 2012 Euro and, you know, he had this, those moments of brilliance at Milan. But you look at it and it's not only that, it's just his wage demands. Like, I think it's one of those things too, where it's like, he's, he doesn't seem like he's the player or he's going to, um, him and Raiola, be willing to say, you know what, I'll take less wages. I'll play as a backup striker on a team that's competing for maybe top six or you know, competing for the Champions League. I think that's really the only way he can kind of keep him, keep himself um, at a top club or at least a t- you know, in contention for um, one of the major clubs in a league. But it, when you're going to kind of put all the, the elements and factors together, I just don't see any club saying, yeah, let's give him a shot or let's give him this or let's give him that because I think they've kind of seen enough of him to say, we know what he is. We know what he is at this point in, his, uh, point in time of his career and it's just not worth the headache. It's not worth the, the, the gamble. No. To your There's point. too much baggage there. There's too much baggage yeah. there. Whether that's his fault or whether that's the media's fault, uh, it's probably a bit of both. You know, it's he causes trouble, but also the media know um, you know, and having been in the football media for, for, for so many, you know, well over a decade, you know, I can tell you that stories about Balotelli sell ridiculously. Right. You just put Balotelli's name in a headline and people, people will read the story. They'll click on the story. And, and as a result, you'll get some types of journalists that will cause create a little bit of trouble or, or, or will be, you know, and, and, and football teams don't want that, you know, especially managers that, that are under pressure and are trying to create a squad. They, they can do without the headache, you know. So some of the time, it, a lot of the time, it is his fault. He does cause trouble. He does carry a certain attitude around him, um, although he hasn't maybe improved a little bit in that respect, um, certainly at, at Brescia because the team is terrible. I mean, I remember him at Inter. Um, in the in the treble winning inter team, and if he didn't get a pass, he'd be throwing his arms around and complaining. And you know, this is, was in a great inter team. He's not like that anymore with Brescia. You know, if he doesn't get a pass from 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 a, from a teammate, he, he you know he he has improved in that respect. But still, you know, he he brings a lot of baggage with him, and and I just don't think he's just too much of a gamble. He you know I think teams want guarantees. And the other thing is. I think he he's also maybe not so much suited to modern football. He doesn't press, he right. he he doesn't press high. Uh, his work rate off the ball is not good. He's not particularly quick. Uh, his movement off the ball is terrible. It has been it's been his one weakness his, his whole career. He just doesn't move, um, doesn't gamble. So uh, you know, I think it's it's a problem. So I, I don't know. I don't know where he is. I mean, I've seen links to Galatasaray in, in mm-hmm. Turkey. Maybe that's where you're looking at. Um, you're looking at a league like that, maybe, but you know, I think he's um, he he might stick around in Europe for one more year, uh, or try to find him a club in this next season to 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 give him a hope of of getting back in the in the Italy squad. Obviously, Roberto Mancini is his great friend and mentor, and that gives him a glimmer of a hope of still returning to the Italy squad. But it's it's realistically it's difficult to see him him returning now. Yeah, I I just yeah, and he's a player. It hurts me to say that, right? Because I think. You know, a decade. You know, a decade. We'll be bouncing back right to right, uh, to twenty ten over here, right? And we, we were thinking this guy's destined for for superstar. I mean, he's got everything, right? And you have to look at it and just got to apply himself. And I think that's kind of one of those things too, where you look at. Uh, I shared I shared a video on my on my uh, my account. It was him and Cassano in twenty twelve, right? I think it was kind of one of those things too, where you know when both players are retired, obviously Cassano's finished right now. But you're gonna look back and say, man, like these two guys were like. They, they had, they were generational talents. Like they had, they had it. And I think it was kind of many ways, there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between the two. 
right? If the players who have it all, they just didn't apply themselves. They let kind of other things around them kind of distract them from being the, the, their true uh, best self. And yeah, it kind of pains me to see that because I'm a Balotelli fan. I know many are. They, they love his story. We love the fact that he's, um, you know, he's, he's fun. He's, he's got all these, you know, the why always me thing. He's, you know, he's got all this talent, this quality, and you want to see a player like him do well. But it's just one of those things where, again, to your point of gamble, it's probably not worth the risk for a top club who's chasing something special. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see. I think MLS maybe is a possibility. Although, again, look at the quality of uh, Major League Soccer players here. If he's throwing his arms up and kind of wearing his, his emotions on his sleeve here, imagine what he's going to be like in, in Major League Soccer when he's not getting the pass or it's like way over his head or like the ball's not coming into him. So <laughs> I can only imagine. But it's it's going to be fun to watch at least where he goes now because I think regardless of whether or not he's playing at a top club or in a top league, I think the interest to your point uh, – Carlo about the headlines it, it'll always be that I think people will always try to you know, root for him and support him in any way possible um, from afar at least so um, I, I think let's 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 move on to um, a topic that you actually brought up to me in our whatsapp conversation Carlo uh, we were on, on the topic of the Thai national team and you know kind of forecasting some of the players who can be there next summer um, we want to do something a little bit fun and I you know I've seen def- different renditions of this. I've seen different versions of this over the years um, in, in uh, graphics and all that stuff. And I know the Italian football TV guys uh, always seem to turn out the Italian uh, national team content. To sh- so shout out to them. But we, uh, we want to kind of deliver our, our own all-time Italy 11. Now, I think this is, for me, I don't know how the process was for you um, when we agreed upon doing this, Carlo. It was very difficult. I was kind of looking at the, the defensive side um, specifically. Um, and obviously, of course, you know, the number 10s, which obviously we'll talk about. I'm looking at the defenders and I'm like, I'm just trying to shove every defender I possibly can into the formation because I'm looking yeah, at it and I'm like, I'm looking at all the names and I'm like, oh man, like, I, what will I, what kind of hate will I get on social media for like leaving out like this guy who's like clear cut one of the best defenders Italy has ever produced. So um I guess let's listen. Let's start. I, I know this is going to be kind of like a hodgepodge for me at least because I found it really difficult to put together an actual formation. I have a lot of names. Just fitting them in is kind of the tough part. But I think let's let's start with goalkeeper. Um, I, I'm using the criteria. I'm going uh, on the basis of players that I've watched and maybe have heard quite a bit about. But I'm not going to date anything too 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 early. Um, just because I again I haven't been able to watch them with my own eyes. I'm sure. You know, you have a little bit more uh, experience with that than I do. Um, but I, I'm going with Gianluigi Buffon. I think 2006 World Cup, let me throw that in there. Um, his pivotal role there, his longevity uh, domestically with Juventus, um, and even before Juventus, what he was able to accomplish at Parma. I think Buffon is hands down my, my, uh, my first choice in that. I think people could go with Dino's off. Obviously, you'd be within your right to do that as well. But who are you uh, going with that goalkeeper? Yeah, I agree with that. And, and just to note that my criteria is just for the Italy national team. So I'm, yeah. I'm not including the club um, right. uh, achievements. But, um, but yeah, I, um, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm Buffon as well. I mean, Zoff, Zoff for a long time was, was without doubt Italy's greatest ever goalkeeper. Uh, I mean, he's the only uh, Italian player to win both the World Cup and the Euros. And, and he, did that, he did that 14 years apart. And, and he won the World Cup at 40. 
Um, and he set a record for, for the, the longest amount of time without conceding a goal for Italy. It was a ridiculous amount of time, so over a thousand minutes. Um, so, I mean, he's an absolute legend. And for most national teams, he would be the goalkeeper. But, um, but he had to go with Buffon because, I mean, for all the reasons that you said, and, and, and he won the World Cup. And, and in every major, if you look at every major international tournament in which he played in, even those that Italy performed, performed badly and he, he, he was playing at a world-class level in, in basically every single tournament. Oh yeah, 100%. So, I think. so yeah, yeah. Buffon, absolutely. And he's, he's, he's not only Italy, he's not only Italy's greatest, he's, he's, the, he's the goat of goalkeepers for, for all nations. Yeah, no matter what uh, certain, certain sectors of football will say, right? I think this, the goalkeeper discussion is always kind of fascinating to have. But yeah, Buffon's definitely, definitely my, my shouting goalkeeper. Um, now, defensively, we're just sort of, our listeners, though, we kind of agreed on a 4-3-1-2 formation. Um, now, I'm going with four defenders. I'm not going to say this is going to be uh, a formation that, you know, and defensive backline that suits all these players' abilities and qualities because they're going to be, some of them are going to be out of position. Uh, I'm just going four defenders because, frankly, I trust these defenders in various roles no matter what. Um, I'm going to go with my back line of uh, Nesta Cannavaro, Maldini left back, and uh, I'm going with Barresia right back. That's going to be my back four. Now, again, you know, people are going to say, well, that's not how would that work and this and that. Yeah, I understand that. But I, I, for me, I, I don't want to leave Franco Barresia. I don't want to leave Nesta. I don't want to leave Cannavaro at Maldini. So that's, that's my back line. Um, Carlo, I'm sure you're going to have a different – uh, rendition or, or opinion on that, but let me get your back line here. Yeah, so tough. I mean, th- this was definitely the toughest area of the pitch to, to, to pick to pick a team because to pick the pitch pick the players for because, I mean, you could probably pick the, the the twenty greatest defenders of all time for any nations, and over half of them would be Italians. I mean, the 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 number of of world class legendary defenders for it for Italy is is crazy it's absolutely crazy so to try to pick four from that is is so so hard um, what I've gone for is I've actually tried to pick players that can play in the positions so okay. for for right back for right back I've gone for Claudio Gentile um, okay. because he won the World Cup in 1982 and he was absolutely incredible in that tournament he he, he did two man marking jobs on um, on the two best players in the world um, at the time, which was, was Zico of Brazil and Diego Maradona, obviously of Argentina. And he had two incredible, <laughs> two incredible jobs. And he's one of the biggest hard men there's ever been. I mean, he probably wouldn't, wouldn't cope. He wouldn't get away with a lot of the stuff that he, he got away with um, in today's uh, football. But um, he, was, he was unbelievable. Uh, you played for Juventus for many years as well. Um, so I would have him as my right back. Uh, uh, Giuseppe Bergami and... and um, who it was very close picking out of those two because but Bergami won the World Cup in '82 at, um, at 18 years old and he he man marked Karl Heinz Rummenigge who was the best striker in the world at the time and he marked him out of the game at 18 and then he was still playing at the World Cup 16 years later uh, at France '98 and still brilliant then so I mean it was it's very tough to leave him out and there was another guy called Bergnich who played in 1970, he was another great, played for the great Inter team of the 60s mm-hmm. that won, won uh, two European Cups. He was great. So, so that's who I picked for right back. For left back, yeah, you have to go with Maldini. Um, obviously, I don't, I don't need to tell everyone about how amazing he was, but, but you know, it's very tough to leave out Facchetti, who was the Inter captain of that great Inter team. Um, he was an incredible defender. 
um, Cabrini was was another fantastic left back for 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 Italy. Uh, won the 1982 World Cup. He was at Juventus, and even Zambrotta um, more recently was mm-hmm. was a fantastic converted left wing back, uh, and even played on the right as well um, at the 2006 World Cup. So so yeah, Maldini for left back. As for the centre backs, <laughs> like tough, just man. just <laughs> oh man, so so, so hard. <laughs> I mean. Baresi um, is a no-brainer because uh, I mean I consider Baresi the best the best centre back of all time for mm-hmm. for, for, for all nations. Um, I mean he was just he was a leader. He 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 was read the game so brilliantly. He was a sweet for such a small for he, such a small defender. Yeah, incredible in the air as well. And the long, again, he, he played for so long. He had like a twenty-year career. Uh, he won the World Cup in '82, although he didn't play. And his performance in uh, the 1994 World Cup final after coming back from knee surgery—one um, of the greatest, well, I would say one of the two greatest individual defensive performances I've I've seen, I've watched um, in 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 my lifetime. Uh, I'll come to the other one in in a minute. So Baresi is a no, is a no-brainer. Um, but then you can go through so many other great Italian centre backs. I mean. You know, you've got uh, Costa Curta, you've got Nesta, who you mentioned, you've got Ricardo Ferri and Vieckerwood from the 80s and 90s, who were both um, incredible. And then more recently, there was there was Chiellini and, and obviously Benucci yeah. um, and Basali. I mean, there's been so many. But it really came down to two defenders for me. Um, one, Fabio Cannavaro, and the other, Gaetano Scherer. And I'm going to get a lot of abuse for leaving Scherer out because he was... Absolutely unbelievable. He was the the the, the star defender of the 1982 um, World World Cup winning team and a brilliant player for Juventus for, for many years. He was, you know, a, a libro. He was a bit like, but he was like the Italian Beckenbauer, um, amazing defender. But the reason I'm going to go for Cannavaro is because I was at the 2006 World Cup. I was in Germany. I watched. I was at. I watched every single Italy game from the from the first game up until the final, um, and. Those who say that Cannavaro was incredible in that tournament, watching him off the TV, well, if you saw him live, he was even better. It was like, I've never seen a defender perform at that level. Um, the, the way, again, like Baresi, just a leader of men, organising the, the back line, um, interceptions and, and, and last gas tackles and, and headers. And unbelievable. And the Germany game in particular, in the semi-final, I mean, it's, Along with that Baresi performance that I mentioned before in '94, that's the best, the best individual defensive performance I've ever seen. I mean, the numbers were unbelievable. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible. Um, and and Cannavaro for Italy, he was again like Buffon. Apart from the 2010 World Cup, where 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 Cannavaro was past his best, he was absolutely incredible in every single tournament he played for Italy. You know, going back to, to the '98 World Cup. Um, Euro 2000, his, his partnership with Nesta, yep. you know, right through to, to, to 2006. I mean, the guy was 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 absolutely amazing. Um, so, so I'm going for Baresi and Cannavaro just based on on the Italy national team. I mean, if you're picking, if you're picking um, all time greatness, I'd probably you know I'd pick Shirer above Cannavaro. Yeah. But, Mm-hmm. But this, I'm going for kind of our embracing. Yeah, I, I, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad we have two different kind of like perspectives on it. I'm just trying to get get everybody I possibly can defensively in there. Um, you know, Nesta, I've you know watched uh, 
quite a bit over the years. Obviously, he was great at Lazio. I know many people and most people associate him um, as a Milan player, but I think you look at what he accomplished at Lazio on one of their best seasons in, you know, in, in years, um, and then obviously moved out to Milan and had such a great season there, even at a late age. I know that famous tackle against Lionel Messi, yes, but also the fact that um, you know, his, his ability to help Italy uh, navigate throughout the, the 20, 2006 World Cup. Of course, he didn't play in the final, which just goes to show you how much, again, strength in numbers they had defensively um, at that World Cup. And, uh, you know, Maldini, we don't have to talk about him, right? I think you know, a, 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 guy, a guy who who dominated two positions. Um, and when people – I see the comments, the Vess is one comments um, – about people comparing, you know, Maldini as a better center back, you know, compared to Virgil Van Dyke, which I think is a ridiculous thing to, to, to be talking about. Oh, but don't even people, start. Don't even start with that. People, you know, it's you know what's funny. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna you know grab the mic here. I got something to say here, uh, Carlo. Is that it, the you know you know Paolo Maldini was so good and he was so just a level above everyone. Uh, you know, maybe Franco Baresi, whatever the case that conversation could be had. But when you have that conversation on Twitter with like Liverpool fans and, you know, Netherlands fans and just football fans in general. And people say, Oh, wasn't like Maldini wasn't like a left back or Maldini wasn't center back. They can't like associate him with one position. Sometimes people, cause, cause some people don't know how good he was at both positions. Right. I think we kind of put him as a left back, right. Although again, that is later part of his career. He played as a central defender, but for 20 something years for him to be that dominant at two positions defensively, and in the prime era of a time football, I mean, that, that's what makes him the GOAT for me. That's, he's my personal GOAT in, in the defensive department. But um, moving on right along to the midfield, uh, this was another, another part, too, because I think you know, we're probably going to have a couple players that are very similar, um, depending on the, the structure of your 4-3-1-2. Um, it's going to vary. Again, if you wanted two zebra players and one packing player, um, you could do that. Um, I got Pirlo, I got Gattuso, and I got Baggio. Um, in a kind of a 4-3, 1-2, uh, heavy attack, if you will. Um, I, I, I wanted Baggio in that three-man midfield. The reason why I put him in there is obviously, yes, I can put him as a number 10 behind the strikers. Um, but I know I'm going to have a couple other players that I want to go with as well. So I'm kind of trying to accommodate as many 10s as I possibly can. Um, Pirlo, I know we talked about him at length. Um, you know, the 2006 World Cup, his overall body of work, just his career in Italy in general. Um, he definitely would not be excluded from mine. Gattuso, I had to go with him. He's a pers- I'm a personal fan of his. Uh, I think you also have to, in this area of the field, appreciate the fact that he was able to um, do a lot of the grunt work, a lot of dirty work, then busting a play and being that kind of that engine um, in order to allow other players to shine bright and to have the World Cup success and you know, the domestic success they did throughout their career. And I think uh, Gattuso is one of those players that really needs to get his credit there. Um, and Baggio, I, I mean, it really doesn't need me saying much else other than the fact that, you know, if it wasn't for injuries, he's, he's even higher on everybody's list. I think everyone can appreciate Baggio's greatness, the goals, the, the ponytail, everything, the whole aesthetic, his entire uh, style of play. Um, one of, if not the greatest Italian footballer of all time. I know that's a great discussion that, we ha- that could be had at a later time. But I want to get your, your midfield three, Carlo, because I'm sure it's going to vary quite a bit um, in, in this case. Yeah, uh, a bit like you, kind of having to shoehorn players in a little bit out of position um, in order to fit everyone in. 
But um, like you, I've got gone with Pirlo as, as the as the regista. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's um, again. We don't need to say about how incredible his his career was. Again, you know the, how long he played for his impact in, in in 2006. I mean, like I said before, I was there and he, he was unbelievable. Um, and you know, right through till when he was you know 33, Euro 2012, and he was. Um, I think uh, I've said I think if Italy would have won the Euros that year, I think Pirlo would have won the Ballon d'Or um, that year. So um, he was he was still that good at that at that age. So so Pirlo's the regista as as the ball winner, the defense, the more defensive minded midfielder. Um, I'm gone for Marco Tardelli, okay. obviously one of the most iconic um, images. In, in international and, and World Cup history was his celebration in the, the 1982 World Cup final against, against Germany, that the screen, the Tardelli screams, they call it. And um, he, was, he, he was a fantastic, I mean, he was a hard man, but he could play as well. Um, and he was a bit of an, kind of a bit like Vidal, Arturo Vidal in his day, really. And, and again, he was a fantastic central midfielder for Juventus, won everything for Juventus um, at home and, and in Europe. So he was a great player. So I would pick him over Gattuso, although Gattuso is definitely close because he had a great, a great international career. Um, and I think Daniele De Rossi is also very close. Um, yeah, that, that was that was the tough. I was position. deciding between he, the two. Yeah, because De Rossi was always. I mean, actually, De Rossi for, for <laughs> this also says a lot about how bad Italy's forwards have been. But for a long time, De Rossi was Italy's top scoring player yeah. in the squad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has like, yeah, he had like, like, I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, for like years, it was like, you look at Italy's top, you do a simple Google search or you look at like the, the Wikipedia page, Italy's top goal scorers, and you're looking at like the names and it's like, De Rossi's above like Immobile, Pelotti, and like some of these guys who are like forwards and have like a substantial amount of caps, but De Rossi always found ways to get goals and you know, I think a lot of his goals always came at, uh, at big moments. I think he was one of those guys that, you know, he had the penalty against, I think it was Germany, right? I think at the, at the, um, at the Euro um, in 2016, right? That big penalty conversion. He just had the kind of that ice water in his veins. He had the, the, the grit. He, you, you can rely on him stepping up to the spot um, and, and somehow some way helping you win on that day. So, yeah, leaving Dorosi out was, was, was tough, but I went with Petuso. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of strange and kind of yeah it was tough to leave him out he, he was a great 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 servant yeah great servant for Italy De Rossi and for the third player I have I have kind of shoehorned um I've, I've shoehorned Gianni Rivera who was more of a number 10 really mm-hmm. um but I felt like we needed somebody from from the the kind of 1960s 1970s era because because Italy did win the Euros in 1968 it was the only the only, um, I mean, he wasn't massively influential in that, but he was influential um, in the in the nineteen seventy World Cup, especially in the knockout stages. Um, and he was he was the original golden boy of of Italian yeah. football. Yep. Uh, he started very young at, at your Milan. Um, yeah. uh, he joined them as a teenager. Um, he won the you know he won two European Cups uh, um, at a very young age. He he won the Ballon d'Or in in nineteen sixty nine, and he was uh, if you ever get a chance everyone listening watch the Milan destroy Ajax 4-1 uh, Johan Cruyff's Ajax team uh, in the 1969 European Cup final watch Rivera's performance in that it's one of the greatest individual performances I mean he was never as good for, for Italy as he was for, for Milan there's no there's no there's no doubt about that and there was always kind of problems fitting him in with another great uh, midfielder at the time which was Sandro Mazzolo someone I also considered for this team um, they, those two could never really play together. A bit like Totti and Del Piero could never really play together. 
um, in more recent times. But uh, he was a, a wonderful talent and, and he scored the winner in probably, um, well, I would say in the top three greatest international games of all time, which was the Italy four, West Germany three in the 1970 World Cup semi-final. He scored the, the fourth goal, the 4-3 winner in extra time in that game. Um, so, so yeah, Rivera is my final pick. But I would say that because we've gone for a 4-3-1-2, we've, I've kind of been forced to leave out um, a few really legendary wingers that I would have loved to put in this team. Um, and that's um, Donadoni, Roberto Donadoni, who, was, who I would say is one of the most underrated um, players of his generation. Yeah. He was an absolute world-class winger for Milan and for Italy. Um, Bruno Conti, who who only really had one great tournament for Italy, but what a tournament he had in in 1982. He was he was absolutely delightful. Roma legend, you know, down the uh, down the wing, taking players on for fun. He was brilliant. And and another guy, Franco Calcio, who was a uh, more in the 70s. Uh, he was an, another fantastic, really quick winger. He was brilliant at the 1978 World Cup, and and he came on in the in the final in '82. Um, actually, Calcio. So it's a shame to leave those out, but um, because of the form, because of the formation, yeah, Pierlo Tardelli and Rivera for my uh, for my midfield. Okay, and I, we're, we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna create some sort of graphic or some sort of way to uh, tweet this out. I think it would be a very fun kind of conversation or debate to be had on Twitter. I think it'll cause a lot of and stir a lot of uh, a lot of discussion. Um, I, I'm gonna let you go first on your. I'm gonna lump in the two strikers with the number ten. I, I want to hear what you have going on there, and I want to see, um, you know, if how similar it is to mine because I'm sure we're gonna have uh, a quite a quite a different you know blend here. So give me your, your, your number 10 and give me your two okay. men up top. Okay. All right. The number 10. Well, the, the number 10 shirt is, is a mythical shirt in, well, in all of football, but especially in Italian football. It's the shirt that, that everybody, um, of my age anyway, when they're growing up, wants to wear the number 10. It's, it's kind of one of the modern kind of travesties of football today is that the number 10, no one really cares about the number 10 shirt. It doesn't really mean much anymore. Uh, obviously, it does you know you still got like a Messi that wears a number ten, but there's not really. I mean, it's it's kind of been degraded a little bit <laughs> today, um, which is which is ridiculous. But but you know, in Italian football, there's been so many great number tens, and the number ten was always considered to be the best player of the Italian national team. Um, so so it's very very difficult. There's been some amazing. I mean, there's been Rivera that I mentioned, Matt, Sandro Mazzola. Um, and Matsoda's dad, Valentino, who was a, was, a, was an, an incredible player in the uh, in the in the, the great Torino team, the Torino team that, that tragically um, was like, perished in the in, a, in an air crash uh, in in the, in the late 1940s. Um, though, you know, those they were great players. Um, Giancarlo Antonioni for Fiorentina, he he played the 1982 World Cup. He was incredible. You know, then you got Del Piero, and then you got obviously Francesco Totti as well. I mean, there's so many there, but I mean, my number ten is Baggio. I mean, you, right. you, you put him in, you put him in a deeper position. I mean, I actually think that Baggio's best position is was probably a, a support striker rather than say a number ten behind a front two. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this formation, I'm going to go with Baggio, and, and he was my hero um, growing up. Um, as a, I was a young, very young kid when when Baggio was 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 a football was was you know at its peak. Um, and you know, I idolised him. You know, I had his his yellow Diadora boots. Um, you know, I used to copy all his skills when I played. And mm-hmm. and and he was, you know, three three World Cup tournaments. He was absolutely world class for Italy. As a, you know, as a young twenty three year old in in Italian nineties, scored that. You know, one of the greatest ever World Cup goals um, against uh, Czechoslovakia. 
you know, then in '94 he basically single-handedly took took Italy to the final. Yeah. Uh, not not a particularly great Italy team as well to the final, and and you know it's just such a such a shame that he wasn't that he wasn't fit in the final. He was carrying an injury and he he couldn't really be himself in the final. And obviously missed the the penalty, and then he came back in '98. You know when he was in his 30s and he was still still absolutely amazing. You know so. So yeah, Badjo for me, he was a he was a genius. He was an he was an absolute genius, um, and he's he's my number ten. Okay, yeah. See, I, for me, it's I'm trying to. I was thinking, I was like, where do I want to put Badjo? I, I, my other guy was going to be uh, Rivera. You know, I was trying to kind of like see where they would fit. And I think it'd be fun to like in a in a in a fantasy fantacalcio type mindset that I'm here in in right now is to see like them kind of like interchange and like how they. Can, they're so skillful on the ball that like I wouldn't put it past a guy like Baggio to be able to play deeper and to see him kind of do all these 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 sorts of brilliant things on the ball to kind of connect play with a guy like Rivera. But I'm gonna go with Rivera as my as my my man in the hole. I think you know for all the reasons you just mentioned. Um, I, I could have went several different areas with this. I think it's so tough. And I think you know initially I was like, oh, let's do a four three three, and because I think that's kind of like it's, it's like a standard formation that most people you'll tend to throw out there when talking about like their all-time 11. But I think you know, it wouldn't be a, an all-time Italy 11 without accommodating the number 10 role. So uh, I'm going to go with, with Rivera uh, as my number 10, I think. Um, you know, Totti, Del Piero, good shouts. Um, Totti, the, it's the interesting one because for, for me, I think, you know, Des Totti had the, the big goal uh, against Australia, the penalty, uh, which I wrote about for the Gentleman Ultra. If you guys want to check that out, I'll share that on my account. But um, he didn't have a lot of goals for, for them. And I think it's kind of – some will say, well, he didn't score a lot or he didn't do this, he didn't do that. But it, maybe it was more of a testament to the role he was uh, you know, put in to play. I think you know, everyone kind of looks at a guy like Totti as like a, goal, like a potent goal scorer, a guy who could put up goals. But his role throughout his entire career, Carlo, if you, can, if you would agree with me on this, it always kind of changed and fluctuate, at least at the club level. I know that you know, typically his role kind of more or less maintained the same – um, for, the, for the national team. But I think, you know, we saw him under Spalletti at Roma play, you know, one role. And then you have him play another role where he's getting less goals, but he's more involved in the creative side of things. And then you have the other role where he's scoring more goals and he's one of the top goal scorers. So I think Totti is the one guy who doesn't have maybe necessarily the goals to back up mm-hmm. the, uh, the the caps or maybe necessarily like those big defining goals aside from maybe the Australia goal. But I think when you look at, his individual performances. I think Totti is a player that, you know, I, I probably would um, in, in, in any other, you know, nation probably include in, in my 11, but um, let's go, let's go to the strikers. Cause I want to see where, where you, where your head's at with this. Okay. Um, well, yeah, just first of all, I agree with you on Totti. I think he only scored nine goals. Yeah. Like 50 something caps, 57, 58 Yeah, caps. for Italy. I mean, he was a little bit unfortunate. He was unfortunate yeah. circumstances with Totti because actually at Euro 2000, he was one of the players of the tournament. Yeah. Um, and he was man of the match in the final as well. And he, and he, he did the assist for the assist for the for Italy's goal. The hockey assist, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I mean, amazing. The back heel for... for, for I think was it for Passotto to put the cross in when Del Vecchio scored, and, and I mean Italy should have won that, that. That I mean I don't want to talk. I've still I've still got having nightmares about Italy not winning that <laughs> not winning that tournament. So I mean if they'd have won that tournament, then then Totti would have been you his know, legacy the, the, for the national team would probably be a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then I mean, in two thousand and two, Italy just got cheated out of the tournament. Um, oh yeah, you know, so he could have. I mean, he was at his peak then. 
in 2002 and then obviously he he, he, made, he messed up in 2004 with the spitting incident and then 2006 he, he wasn't fit I mean come back from a broken leg in a yeah. miraculous time and he still contributed with a number of assists and that goal that you mentioned so so yeah he was a little bit unfortunate um, but you know Roma was always his his national team wasn't it so it didn't really mean the same for him um, and for that reason I didn't pick him in the in the in the front two um, I mean, yeah so 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 my front two well I've gone for Gigi Riva and Paolo Rossi as my front two. Um, there's a few that, you know, maybe are in the equation, but I've never seen the play. So, you know, Giuseppe Miazza and Silvio Piola are obviously two, two absolute legends of the sport, but I've never seen them. I've seen like little highlights of them here and there, but I, I can't tell you anything about, you know, how good they really were. So it's impossible to consider them. Um, and then, you know, the other three that I considered were Roberto Bettiger, who was a was a fantastic forward in the in the 70s and early 80s for Juventus and Italy, but you know he did it in a period where Italy didn't win anything um, and never really challenged uh, apart from the 1978. He was supposed to go to the 1982 World Cup as Italy's choice, first choice striker, but he was injured, and that's why Paolo Rossi came in. So so yeah, if he'd have gone to 82, maybe he could have been in the equation. Altobelli was it was a great striker in the 80s. He scored the third goal in the 82 final. I considered him. And and really the the, the the player that came closest to getting into my front two was Christian Vieri, um, who was was a, an absolute animal for, for Italy and brilliant in the 1998 World Cup and the 2002 World Cup. Scored goals galore. He, I mean, he could have scored nine or ten goals in in that 2002 World Cup if if Italy hadn't been hadn't been cheated out of it. So so yeah, he he was he was very close. But I've gone for Riva and Rossi because I mean, Gigi Riva is still you know 50 years on from from when he played for Italy. Is still Italy's top scorer, mm-hmm. um, and that's despite I think he broke his leg two or three times in his career, and, and which forced him to miss a long time. Of that, you know, uh, that he he would have won many more caps and scored many more goals for Italy, um, and and he was decisive in 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 Italy's really big games at that time. Mm-hmm. He scored the first goal in the the final of Euro 19, 1968 uh, against Yugoslavia. Uh, the replay that is, and they, they obviously won that tournament. And then he scored scored key goals in the 1970, 1970 World Cup. And and he was he was I mean he had an unbelievable left foot. You know maybe the best left foot that an, an Italian you know Italian forward has ever had. Uh, just absolutely lethal. And that was in a time when the, the balls were very heavy, heavy leather balls, and he could really shot. I think he broke. A, I think he won, if I'm mistaken, I think he once broke a supporter's arm with a, with a, with a free kick or a <laughs> shot. That's how hard his that's how hard his shots were. I mean, and actually he was still involved in 2006. He was one of the the team managers in the 2006 and in the 94 World Cup as well. I think he was the guy that consoled Baggio when when Baggio was crying. I mean, he's got a, a real legendary career for for Italy, both as a player and then and then afterwards as part of a you know part of the, the setup. So so definitely Gigi Riva and then Paolo Rossi because I mean he his story in 1982 um, was was unbelievable. When I mean, he came back from a, from a long ban, he hadn't played for for an 18 months or two years. Uh, he came back having played only a few games, and then he, he went there and he was a total disaster in the, in the group games. Then all of a sudden. You know, he exploded in the in the last in the knockouts in the last three games. The you know the hat trick against Brazil in in you know probably the greatest Italy game ever, three two win against Brazil. If you, you know, if you haven't watched that game, anyone watch that. It's an absolute you know 
unbelievable match. Um, and then he scored two in the semi-final against Poland. And then he scored the, the opening goal in the, in the final against, against Germany. So, so definitely, I think, Paolo Rossi. He was also great in the 1978 World Cup as well um, for Italy. Paolo Rossi scored uh, maybe four goals in that tournament, I think. Or three or four goals. So, so Paolo Rossi and, and Riva for me, two, two, two uh, incredible strikers. Interesting, yeah. I think you know there was though I, when I was going through all the names, I think um, you know Gigi was one of the ones I was kind of leaning towards. But you know, again, my criteria is going to be a little bit different. I think I can't really speak so much on a player that I haven't seen. I know I can read, I can take people's word for how good he was, and I definitely believe he was very, very, very special and uh, an icon. Uh, my two strikers um, are going to be uh, Vieri and are going to be Del Piero. And I think Del Piero, um, you know, the shaved head that kind of always comes back to mind from the 2006 World Cup. Uh, but I think you know, him and his eyes are kind of as a supporting striker, deeper forward, um, combined with, you know, Vieri's strength, that size, that brutish uh, shape, that, that figure. I think those two contrast so well. I think, you know, you have uh, the, the, they're, they're, them as goal scorers. I think if you look at Bobo Vieri, he's something like 49, 50 appearances for the national team. But his goal record, I think he's averaging, you know, half a goal per game so he's his body work over a shorter um you know span of 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 appearances um is very impressive and if you look at Del Piero I think you know 27 goal, 27 28 goals and 90 appearances um I think those two would contrast uh, and, and be able to mesh quite well up front I think look there's so many different it's gonna be it's tough to, to to say who if you ask me on another day if we recorded another day I probably would have a couple players in different spots. I'm sure you would as well. But I think looking at this, I think it's one of those things where I was trying to find a balance between not snubbing who I think belongs, but also kind of being realistic to a degree, right? So I can't, you know, say like, well, I'm going to just put all, shove all the best 11 players in no matter what position they are. And that's my 11. So I tried to kind of, you know, find that balance between, and you're having players who realistically, in my opinion, would fit in certain roles. And then others where I'm like my back line, which is kind of like pure fantasies to have like, you know, but I see Nesta, Cannavaro, and Maldini as your back four, regardless of whether or not that would be able to, to coexist. So um, that was, yeah, that was, that was a very fascinating uh, 11 you had that, Carlo. I think I'm sure you have a little more of a knowledge base uh, on the national team than I do. Um, but, you know, that's, again, I'm hoping that we have uh, you know, years down the line, we have a more of a discussion and we can talk about, you know, certain other players. But yeah, it's, it's also interesting to me, um, Carl, I don't know if this is the same for you as well, is to see like, um, you know, when you talk about the strikers and you talk about in comparison to like other nations and stuff, how Italy's the shelf life of most Italy strikers, like they don't have like those strikers that played like 100 caps, having 50, 60 goals. I feel like there was always kind of like one in, one out, but for one reason or another, over the, the span of, you know, 50, 60 years, they were always able to find someone who can deliver in tournaments, right? So, you, like, you know, you look at the numbers and you're like, to your point, you know, we talked about De Rossi for a while being, like, the highest goal scorer, right? But you look at the numbers of the top goal scorers and it's, it's not like this is a huge number. I mean, you have Riva who has 35 goals. It's not like 60, 70 goals. You know what I'm saying? I know it's, not, it's unheard of to have that much at the international level, but I always find it fascinating how, like, over – span of years like, like the striker role or the forward role has always been kind of like well we're just looking for a certain player to play that role and you can many ways look at the the euro 2016 right with, with, with Conte when he had Pele and he had Eder 
it wasn't so much like we need goals, 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 goals. It was like, okay, like how do we make these two work to create goals happen, whether it be from the forwards or whether it be from other players. Pele and Edder had good, good tournaments, but I just wanted to bring that up to you and kind of get your thoughts on that, like why they haven't been. No, no I, I'm totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to butt in there. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, it's fun. It's funny you should say that because I was thinking exactly the same thing just before we we went on air and how, you know, the shelf life of. No, it's not that the shelf life uh, is short of of Italian forwards. It's, it's just the gap between uh, tournaments. It's like. You know, you look at like Maldini left, what, and he wasn't part of the 2006 World Cup. But at that time, he was still elite, right? So, like, you look at how, like, how the international yeah. format it's, it's kind of plays into. I'm sorry, Carl, you could go. You could go. Yeah, no, it's no, you're absolutely right. It's it's that Italian forwards generally over history have only really played one or two, let's say, World Cups, mm-hmm. and then and then another and then another forward gets to play one or two world cups and then another forward it's very rare that you'll you'll find a, a a forward that's around for 12 years and will play in three or four four tournaments over over that time like a pele like that you mentioned or like a maradona did for argentina it's it's um, i mean he wasn't necessarily a forward but but for for italy i mean if you take the 1990s for example which was an absolute golden period for italian forwards and strikers and there were so many world class forwards during that decade, I mean, you know, if you if you look through even just at the number tens, I mean, we we mentioned um, Totti and Del Piero, who were towards the end of that decade. We mentioned Vieri. We mentioned you know uh, Roberto Baggio, who those were all there in in ninety eight World Cup. So was Inzaghi, but there was there was also you know Mancini, Roberto Mancini, who didn't even go to to a World Cup. You had Gianluca Vialli, who who only went to 1986 when he was very young and the, yeah. and the 1990 World, yeah. 90 World Cup, and he didn't play again um, after that. Um, Baggio play, went to three World Cups, and that, that was very rare. Um, you know, Vieri went to, to two World Cups. Um, you know, you had, I'm um, just trying to think of like Gianfranco Zola, for example, who was, was you know, a world-class, a world-class forward. Uh, he only went to one World Cup in 1994, and and he barely played. He came, yeah. came I mean, he got sent he got sent off against Nigeria for the for the most ridiculous, like innocuous um, challenge ever. Um, so he barely played, and it really it was you know you know Salvatore Scalacci played one World World Cup. He was a bit of a one hit wonder, but for, for Italy, it's generally the the players were usually chosen when they were in their peak. I think when they were kind of like 26, 27, 28 mm-hmm. years old, and then the next player would get a chance, and you know you wouldn't find them coming in at the age of like 19, 20, 21, yeah. 22, and then playing right through until their early 30s. They wouldn't get their chance till later. I think the, the attackers. That's generally how it how it worked. Uh, they, you get the odd exception, but it, it was very rare. I think Del Piero is one, uh, and Baggio are probably two two of the exceptions, really. To, to the to, to that rule yeah it's yeah yeah that i, I just i always it's just funny because i always find it fascinating because i think like maybe it's one of those things where um you know italy's maybe always historically at least in my opinion you can you can you know, correct me on this um carlo maybe have never historically been considered on the international level as like this firepower side Right, because I think we're so accustomed to leaning towards how good and strong they were defensively, and you know what they what they possess in the midfield. And you know, we obviously know they have the attacking talent, the creative talent. Um, you know, overall, and, you know, historically over their over the stretch of history. But you know, we, I think we've 
kind of have to look at Italy in a much different, you know, scope because I think, you know, you perfect examples to the, the 2006 World Cup, right, where they only conceded one goal from open play, um, which was against the USA, right? It was, I think, was an own goal with Sicardo, if I'm correct on that. So they've never been a team that maybe was said, like, okay, well, we have a guy who's going to have six, seven goals, like a, like a Thomas Muller type or like a Miroslav Klose type performance where he's going to have such a big performance at the World Cup. And it's been more one of those things where, like, they know their strengths, they cater to the strengths, but they have the quality to get the goals and to, to piece things together and to navigate tournaments and get deep into tournaments, which I think is a testament to the fact that why they have four World Cup you know, titles. So, um, yeah, I just... I'm, I'm just hoping you know, on the topic of, of forwards and strikers, I'm just hoping that Immobile is that guy. Um, it's, it's hard to see what kind of the future holds beyond Immobile because I think, you know, um, you know, there's Belotu who's kind of at 25, 26. You know, he's, they got – those players have the caps. Like, they've started to compile quite a bit of caps because they've been the guys for three years, four years, give or take. So it's only a matter – just a matter of them kind of taking the bull by the horns and kind of solidifying this role and, and being – the, the next number nine for Italy. I don't think people expect them to be um, these, these big time producers, but I think, you know, just a little bit to kind of help things get along because when you look at Italy top to bottom moving forward, if we're, you know, projecting towards the, the future tournaments, I think this team is built to win. It's built to have a, a successful era here. So um, everyone's going to be focusing on, of course, whether or not that striker can step up and, uh, and produce. Uh, Carlo, I, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. We had a couple other questions. Um, I, I'd love to ask them, but I think we kind of ran quite long on this one, uh, looking at about an hour, hour and change. Where can people find you, uh, what you're working on and, and ultimately uh, where, where your, most of your content goes? Yeah, you, well, you can, you, you can find me on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is, I think, Carlo, at Carlo Garganese, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me just double check that. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's at Carlo Garganese. So you can find find me on Twitter, and you can find all my work. I'm doing I'm doing various work for for different publications and um, different places. I'm 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 quite regularly on podcasts and and on the radio, and and yeah, you can you can listen to me and and then read my stuff on Twitter. Awesome, and you guys can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Again, I relaunched my Medium account. I'm uh, going to be producing some more content for Scouted Football, which, again, we talked about, uh, ironically, an uh, under-23-centric uh, handbook. So, guys, check that out. Some great stuff in there. A lot of Serie A players um, that I've covered in there. So, make sure you guys go check that out, digital or print version. Great stuff there. Uh, you guys can follow the State of Play pod at State of Play pod. Um, shout out to Big Heads Media for supporting us as a podcast. We really do appreciate it. Check out some of the other podcasts in that parent company. Uh, like, subscribe, give us a positive review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you guys listen to your podcast. It uh, goes a long way in helping us grow and continue what we're doing here. Uh, Carlo, thank you so much. Stay safe, stay well, and um, we look forward to having you back on at a later time. Bye.